I'm happy to tell you that the Sheila Story's full collection is now available as a novel on Amazon. To find the book, go to your Amazon marketplace and type The Sheila Stories by Patrick Kelly into the search bar. Welcome to The Sheila Stories, which relate the life of an Australian woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I'm Pat Kelly, your host and storyteller. Now, to get everyone back up to speed, in our last episode, we heard the story Home. And during the story, Sheila returned to her parents' home in Sydney to deal with her grief. After a month at home, she decided that she was ready to get on with her life. But she did not relish returning to the military hospital in Tamworth because they didn't really need her. They, they, they had enough ambulance drivers already. So she will search for something new. Now, in today's story, which is titled Sean Riker, Sheila will become reacquainted with a childhood friend. Sean Riker. Sheila and her parents sat around the kitchen table eating breakfast. Henry worked as a loan officer in the commercial district. He still had a full head of hair, although much of it had turned gray. He swallowed a last piece of sausage and wiped his mouth with a cloth napkin. I nearly forgot, he said. I ran into a man yesterday who said he once sailed against you in a tournament. Bradley Riker. Hmm. The name triggered no memories. Actually, her father continued, I believe you know his son, Sean. Sean Riker, of course, her sailing and surfing buddy from years ago. Mary stood to clear the dishes. Didn't you have a romance of sorts going with him before you left Sydney? Sheila laughed. Nothing serious. He moved to Hawaii to surf full time, but then he returned to attend university. Henry said, Yeah, well, he joined the AIF two years ago. Do you know where he is, she asked? In an army hospital camp outside Sydney. Is he injured? I'm afraid he's lost a leg. He's been recuperating for a month already. Later that morning, she hired a car with a driver to take her to the camp hospital. An extravagance indeed, but one thing she didn't have to worry about was money. Ever since she'd left Darling Downs, John had deposited a quarterly payment into her bank account, and the balance kept piling up. It took them an hour to get there. They drove west to avoid the central business district and then south through the suburbs. The camp was constructed of timber barracks to house care facilities, patient beds, and staff. Wearing her uniform, she was allowed to pass through security with her AWAS identification but the car and driver had to wait outside the gate. She checked in at the front desk and asked the on-duty doctor a specific question. She found Sean in bed staring at the ceiling. The outline of his good leg lay under the sheet. The second was amputated above the knee. Hi, Sean, she said. His eyes were dull, as if forced to slave at a task he disliked. He blinked twice. Perhaps he thought she was an orderly come to execute an irrelevant, bureaucratic step. 
Don't you recognize me? She said. It must be the uniform. Think bathing suit. His eyebrows bunched in concentration. Surely he would recognize her voice. What was her hairstyle the last time he'd seen her? Shorter or longer? Sheila? His lips broke ranks with the rest of his body. They smiled. Is that you? Present, she said. He propped himself up on his elbows. And you're in the army? Correct. I gather you are as well. It was the wrong thing to say, or perhaps she could have said nothing right. His face fell, and his eyes dropped to the empty space under the sheet. Not for much longer, he said. They have little use for a one-legged soldier. I'm sorry, she said. He shook his head. Mortar fire. My parents tell me I'm lucky. It could be worse, they say. I suppose they're right, theoretically, but lying here, I disagree. She had to get him off the negative train of thought. But how? Don't ask him how it happened. That could wait. Tempt him with adventure. Do they have you on lockdown, she said, or can you escape this prison? He answered sharply. I can't go for a walk if that's what you had in mind. Wheelchair? Crutches? Piggyback ride? He arched his eyebrows. You haven't changed as silly as ever. She leaned in. I'm sure it's not you, but this room smells like a mixture of a wet dog and an old man's fart. Let's break out. You're incorrigible, he said. Always. He reached over the side of the bed to retrieve two crutches. I can manage a couple laps around the hut. Can you make it to the gate, she said. I have a car and driver waiting outside. A driver? A car? Are you rich now? Shush! Don't tell anyone. They'll want to marry me for money. I'm not sure they'll allow me to leave, he said. Rules, rules. Don't speak of rules. I've already secured your pass. The back seat was large enough for them and Sean's crutches. She kept their destination a secret, which of course made him curious. He watched the scenery with keen interest, turning his head to examine the landmarks they passed. Then he claimed he knew where they were going. She doubted him, for the destination was far from North Sydney. They traveled east on two-lane gravel roads that curved around small hills. Palm trees dotted the roadside now, and the soil grew sandy. He nodded. Yep, I was right. Maybe, maybe not. But when they rounded the last corner and Bondi Beach came into view, his face lit like a little boy at his birthday party. Bondi Beach was a thousand yards from end to end, with a wide expanse of sand from the promenade to the waves. A gust of salt air blew through the open windows. The car drove down to the beach, and he grew more excited, almost frantic. I want to get out, he said. I want to feel the sand between my toes. Fine, she said, but take it easy. Let him find a place to park. The car stopped and Sean swung his leg out the door. But the crutches became tangled, and he nearly fell. Slow down, she said. We've got time. No, no, I need to. I need to feel it. By then he was moving, crutching his way toward the sand, and she hurried to catch him. They made quite the pair, she in her uniform and he in a robe and hospital pajamas. True enough, as soon as he cleared the pavement, 
He kicked off his slipper and buried his pale foot in the sand, but he yanked it out again. Ouch! I forgot how the sun bakes the sand. You dulled, she said, laughing. Put your slipper back on. Few beachgoers had ventured out, mothers and children for the most part. The sand offered an unsteady purchase for crutches. Sean made slow progress and soon grew winded. Let's rest a moment, she said, her hand on his arm. I'm fine, but sweat popped on his brow. The waves crashed louder, the air thick with the smell of the sea. Sandpipers ran to and fro. Energy filled her body. She hadn't walked on a beach since her honeymoon. Finally, they neared the water. The tide was going out, leaving packed sand behind it. He stopped to take it in, the sounds, the breeze, and the sight of a lone surfer trying to catch a wave. Sean watched the surfer with bright eyes. His fingers tapped his crutch. A good wave approached, and the surfer turned his board. Wait, Sean whispered. Not yet. Not yet. Now. Get up. Get up. Oh, darn, he missed it. And then Sean laughed. She felt warm all over, and not from the sun. He crutched ahead. Not too close, she said. You'll get wet. I have to go in, he shouted. I have to. No, Sean, no. She moved, but it was too late. He rushed one-legged into the waves. When the water reached his knees, he threw the crutches to the side and began hopping. He made it to his waist, but a wave knocked him down and he floundered. She waded into the sea in her uniform. The next wave tumbled him over and over. She grabbed one crutch and had to duck a wave. He tried to stand but kept losing his balance. She swam to him, grabbed him around the waist to keep him steady, and the two of them struggled to the sand. They never found the other crutch. He leaned on her the whole way to the car. Reaching it, they stopped to catch their breath. You fool, she said. You might have drowned. Sitting in the back in their wet clothes, they were quiet on the return to the hospital. She thought he might cry but he didn't. Instead, he stared dully out the window, not noticing anything. This was how people lost all hope, one disappointment at a time. You've got to keep working at it, she said. Thank you, he said, leaning against the door, his eyes still turned away. It was a good try. For a moment, I felt like the old me. He made a noise in his throat but no one needs a surfer with one leg. After dropping him back at the hospital, she told the driver to return to Bondi. Once there, she walked the full length of the promenade in her wet uniform, searching for the right shop. Three days later, wearing a bathing suit under her uniform, she strode into Sean's barrack. He noticed her right away. Sheila, I didn't expect to see you. Sorry about my childish mood the other day. Forget it, she said. I've found you a present. She held up a red men's bathing suit. Oh, well, uh, thanks, he said with no enthusiasm. But this isn't your gift, she said. Now put them on so you don't embarrass me again with those ridiculous pajamas. They drove to the northern end of Bondi where the headland protected the beach and made for calmer surf. Sheila spotted a woman dressed in shorts standing next to a picnic table and asked the driver to park. 
Who's that? said Sean, frowning. He wore his new bathing suit and a light-colored shirt. Sheila ignored him and remained silent until they had walked over to the woman. This is June Dewsnap, she said. Deeply tanned, June was in her thirties. She had dark hair, a mischievous smile, and blue eyes. June examined Sean from his head to his foot and then nodded. I understand you're a surfer. Was, he said. I was a surfer. June runs a surf shop on the promenade, said Sheila, and she makes custom surfboards. June rubbed her chin. Yeah, you're the perfect guy to test my new design. She turned to the table to grab something. The object was peculiarly shaped, like someone had cut a standard surfboard in two, kept the top half, and rounded the butt end. I call it a half-board, she said. It's designed to catch waves from a prone position. It's stable, but a lot more maneuverable than a standard board. His face twisted like he tasted something sour. He turned to Sheila. Are you bonkers? She said, you can't stand on a board, but that doesn't mean you can't surf. Now don't be a wimp. Get out there and try it. June reached behind her to grab a second half board and handed it to Sheila. The hint of a smile creased Sean's face. We'll learn together, said Sheila, just like Narabeen. And it worked. It worked better than she ever could have imagined. Once he got the feel of the half board, Sean was fearless in the waves. They stuck to the calmer surf at first, but soon grew bolder. When he rode a wave to the end, Sean would rise on his one leg, use the board to crutch himself into deeper water, and then hop on and paddle out like any other surfer. They surfed until exhausted, and then they lay on the sand at the edge of the waves. He couldn't stop laughing. Afterward, they had a long lunch at one of the promenade cafes. They talked about their adventures as children, sailing races and surfing. Sean wondered aloud if he could manage to hold his end up on a two-person sailboat. Sheila suggested they try it soon. Back at the hospital, he crutched his way to his barrack by himself, and she had a long meeting with the doctor she had met on her first visit. The following week, she returned to the hospital. As she and the doctor had previously arranged, a bus waited with eight disabled soldiers, including Sean, of course. June met them at Bondi Beach with more half-boards at the ready. June enjoyed interacting with the men, giving them instructions, laughing with them, and allowing them to flirt with her. She laughed even louder with Sean and gave him a little shove when he told an off-color joke. He didn't mind. A few days later, Sheila arranged a trip to a hospital camp in another part of Sydney, and the following week she contacted yet a third hospital. She became so busy arranging logistics, driving from one camp to the next, that her days grew short. She'd leave the house early and return late. Once in bed, she'd read three pages before falling asleep. One morning, as she was about to leave the house, the telephone rang. Right, residence. Hello, Sheila. It's Captain Whitworth. Goodness. She had forgotten about her job at Tamworth. She'd been on leave for three months now, longer than she'd ever expected. The captain was undoubtedly calling to order her hasty return. Nice to hear from you, Captain. How are you? asked the captain. Better. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the time. I suppose I must return to work. 
That's why I'm calling, said the captain. Of course, we can always use another good driver, and we'd love to have you back, but truthfully, we're not short, and I've just had an interesting conversation with a Colonel Fletcher. Colonel Fletcher? Yes. He runs a hospital camp. I assumed you knew him. We've met a few times, said Sheila. Well, said the captain, he's desperate for me to approve your transfer to Ingleburn. Seems he's in love with the beach program you've organized. I sort of stumbled into it, said Sheila. Not according to Fletcher. He claims you're brilliant. I think he'd put you in charge of the war if he could. Truthfully, I enjoy the work, said Sheila, and I think it might do some good. Not that I don't like you or the work at Tamworth. Of course, said the captain. It sounds like you're having a terrific impact right there. Would you like the transfer? Yes. Consider it done. And the best of luck to you. Thank you, Captain. Cheers, Sheila. Okay, that's the end of the episode, Sean Riker. I really enjoyed this story because it has a happy ending. Uh, and, and frankly, we've been a little short of those lately. Now, the theme of the story is that work gives life purpose. No matter what happens in life, you do your best to carry on. We have two broken people at the beginning of the story. First, there's Sean Riker, who has always been an active person, but now he's lost his leg in the war. And then, of course, there's Sheila, who's devastated by the loss of her husband, Colin. And through activity, both of them learn how to carry on. One of my favorite parts of the story is the image of the two of them sitting at the edge of the surf with the waves washing up to them. And Sean is laughing. He's so happy to have rediscovered his love for the sea. He now has hope. And he begins to think about new things. Can he go sailing? Could he find romance with June Dusnap? Could he find a job? He's ready to carry on with his life. And this is what makes the story special for me. Now, in the story, they surf at Bondi Beach. And the, uh, the American listeners of the podcast who have traveled to Sydney have undoubtedly heard of Bondi. Maybe you visited for Bondi is one of the most visited tourist sites in Australia. Now, on my website, the image for this story is of Bondi Beach. And it truly is a magnificent site, long and wide. And people have been coming for well over a century. It was first designated as a public beach in 1882. What is that? That's like 135 years or something. Now, by 1929... On an average summer weekend, an estimated 60,000 people would come to Bondi for fun. Now, in the next episode, we will hear the story, A Writer by Training, in which Sheila will meet Jesse Flynn, an American Army officer who was a war reporter for the military newspaper, The Stars and Stripes. And we will also learn what is to become of Thomas's relationship with Chris. Now, if I could, I'd, I'll, I'll take a moment here to promote my writing. 
If you like the narrative style of the Sheila stories, then sign up for my newsletter and get a free copy of my first novel, The Entrepreneurs, Joe Robbins, Book One. Now, this is a thriller novel which features finance executive Joe Robbins, who during the course of the story must catch a killer or be killed. The Entrepreneurs has 4.7 stars on Amazon. You can get the free novel and the newsletter on my website at patrickkellystories.com. That's Kelly with one E. patrickkellystories.com. And the free novel that you get will work for your Kindle, iPad, Nook, or any other ebook reading device. On today's episode, we had music by Cinemedia and sound effects by Noise Creations and Zapsplat.com. Thank you, friends. I'll be back soon. Bye now.